In this age of information, it is ignorance that is most commonly found. In this age of interconnectedness, we are drifting further apart. In this age of knowledge, we still fail to answer the most basic questions of existence. Questions like how do we define the value of one hectare of forest? Or perhaps more fundamentally, how do we define a forest at all? Questions like why is it that government files are so often lost, unavailable or simply set ablaze in this age of mass surveillance? Where on the one hand, the government wants to create a database of every single citizen, every purchase you make, every decision you take, they'll be watching you. But they fail to provide the simplest of land records or government contracts when sought by the public. To paraphrase our Honourable Home Minister, aap catastrophe samjhiye. There's a lot of questions for which we simply do not have the answer. But what we do have, however, is array of hope. Because a week ago on 2nd September 2020, the Maharashtra government declared as reserve forest 600 acres of RA. What this declaration basically means is that any kind of construction, agriculture, infrastructure, basically any quote-unquote non-forest activity can only be undertaken by people after permissions are received. Doesn't sound like much, I know, but when viewed in the larger context, it is a powerful declaration for conservation activists who have been fighting for the forest for decades. It is a testament to all those who stood tirelessly against the numerous development projects that are planned in RA and indeed across all forests of India. And the sad part is, this concerted battle against forests is usually the doing of just a handful of businessmen, corporations and conglomerations. Most of you want to do better. Most of you would make sustainable greener choices if the infrastructure for the same existed. Most of you listening to this podcast don't want to needlessly create waste and cause destruction of this earth. Unless like Gautam Adani is listening to this podcast. (laughs) And if you are, (laughs) buddy, what happened? Why are you like this? Who hurt you? A lot of questions we don't have answers to. What we do have, however, is this week's guest the incredible Stalin Dayanand. Stalinji is one of the champions of the RA movement, which he tells me is the longest surviving fight for an urban forest across the world. Working with the environmental NGO Vanashakti, he has been fighting for wetland conservation, mangrove restoration, and against the constant degradation of forests in India for decades now. Now, it's not like nobody from the state of India has tried to do something about the forests. In fact, the Supreme Court of India took cognizance of the dangerous position the forests of India found themselves in. And in the 1990s, constituted a green bench to exclusively listen to environmental matters. So since the late 1990s, judges have sat on this green bench on their green chairs, passing green orders, and whenever a person is held guilty, the Chief Justice himself would slap the defendant with a can of green paint. (laughs) Nah, I'm kidding. It was black paint. Nah, (laughs) seriously. What this green bench did do is pass thousands of orders seeking to protect India's forests from wanton destruction. And they did have a considerable impact in saving India's forests. That's right. It's not all bad news on today's episode. 
with Stalin Dayanand, we find out about the largest land scam in Mumbai, how despite 100% electrification across India, hamlets in Mumbai continue to live without electricity, how the previous Maharashtra state government launched a concerted attack against the people trying to protect RA, how the monsoon hasn't stopped for 24 years for some parts of the bureaucracy, and indeed, more fundamentally, what a forest even is. In this week's What a Note. Taranji, thank you so much for joining me. You are one of the most recognizable faces of the RA forest crisis movement and there is a tremendous amount of information available about you and the movement online. Uh, two bits of information, however, that I could not find online that I am particularly curious about are uh, firstly on the origins of your name. Now, Stalin is a unique name. It's a slightly unusual name, but it's not an unheard of name. So talk to us, talk to okay. us about the origins of your name. And secondly, talk to us a little bit about what got you interested in environmental conservation. Because as a podcaster, that journey for me is fascinating. So two questions. Firstly, on the origin of your name. And secondly, on the origin of your journey. Hmm. Uh, my parents uh, came from uh, different religions. And uh, they wanted a name uh, which did not belong to any religion or which was not really associated with any religion. And they also believed that I should be strong and uh, resilient. So they chose the name Stalin. And the fact also remains my father in his, in, in his younger days was a member of the Communist Party of India. But that was about it. I, uh, I, mean, I have no memories of him participating any, in any communist uh, movement or struggles like that. But the, basically the name symbolizes... Uh, strength and resilience uh, so my father and mother didn't want it to be immediately associated with any religion and that's how the name came in and it's uh, i'm happy about it the second part is that uh, how my journey began uh, see all of us carry a little bit of our childhood uh, with us uh, throughout our lives or even up to your death so it so happens that my childhood was spent at in an era where there were no television serials or mobile phones or electronic distractions. So most of the time would be outdoors. And I happened to live in an area with a lot of mangroves and creeks in it. So my time used to be spent basically uh, looking, uh, observing the fishes, the butterflies and the nature around it. And it used to always fascinate me, you know, the way the water used to come in. And in certain days, it used to reach uh, inland uh, where it used to be completely dry otherwise. And these things kept uh, catching my imagination. And I knew particularly uh, as a child, because I used to use that route to go to my school also. Uh, so when the tide came in, I knew, knew a particular kind of fish would be seen in a particular area and I would wait to see it. And of course, I got thrashed for wasting my time on the road. Uh, that was a different story. <laughs> Instead of coming home, because those roads used to be a little uh, desolate in those days. Uh, and in the, between the mangroves, a bund road, which a mud road, and we used to use that to go to school. <clears throat> but uh, as I grew uh, older and uh, got into the material world of it, like uh, pursuing a business or a work, or, then I realized that everything around me was vanishing at a very rapid pace. And uh, it happened that my friends were into rescuing wildlife and uh, animal welfare. And I used to help them sort of uh, with the logistics to release an animal or even to assist them in a rescue. 
and slowly slowly i felt uh, that calling coming in that i need to do more and i cannot depend on others to just carry on or try and stop some damage and in the meanwhile whenever i saw something going wrong i used to write to reputed or uh, so called uh, respected environmentalists hoping that some action would be taken but i found that each time they failed me and then i realized ki there is no or oh, depending on anyone and if you have to do something you have to do it yourself and so then that switch happened about one and a half decades ago and the journey continues i've learned a lot on the way and i'm still learning so that's how i got into this you know to me that's absolutely fascinating because it just speaks to the importance of raising children in in, in an environment filled with nature and an access to nature and uh, it's sad that fewer and fewer kids these days are being exposed to you know such a vibrant childhood uh, and this is something i've spoken about in the past on my podcast as well and i'm sure i will uh, in the future but and uh, of course i would yeah. say one more thing sorry to interrupt you that my okay. parents always uh, uh, they took up any social cause which came around them they taught me never to run away from a situation and not to back off and if you feel that it is important if it touches your heart go for it and do whatever you can at least you don't carry the guilt of not doing anything so that's, that's how it continues yeah, that's that's powerful advice and i encourage all my listeners to uh, implement it in their lives as well but coming to your work with uh, the ra forest crisis it strikes me that organizing and leading a citizens movement is an incredibly difficult thing to do because you have to balance out a lot you have to balance out a lot of differing interest groups you know that be it citizen activists be it the administration and the bureaucracy be it high level legislators or even the judiciary and the police in a country like ours where access to information is not something that we're known for and you know an individual dealing with a citizens movement has to sort of make their peace with the government saying things like we lost the files or you know the files got burned or you know that we simply just won't give you the files you know do what you will so in this system given that there are so many competing groups that you have to uh, manage how does one design a citizens movement and how does one lead effectively lead a citizens movement i the ra uh, forest issue is so complicated uh, in before i forget since you mentioned missing papers uh, it would be very shocking and informative also at the same time for the listeners to know that 2000 hectares of forest land which was given to the sanjay gandhi national park or the borivali national park at that time the documents pertaining to that transfer have gone missing and that is a very very it's it it's like the biggest conspiracy of our times 2000 hectares of land in mumbai city nobody can put down the value for it now how did this happen where are the papers gone no agency has any paper uh, and we had to we were we are still continuing to dig out more information on this but the fact will always remain the government never denied that this transfer took place but they have no document to prove it so that itself is a red flag for all citizens that there is a huge land scam as far as ari goes now coming to the information part of it uh when it comes to ra uh, there has always always even today the the lack of information or resistance from the uh, 
प्लानिंग अथॉरिटी कंटिन्यूज दी एम एम आर डी ए और दी महाराष्ट्र सॉरी दी मुंबई मेट्रो रेल कॉर्पोरेशन लिमिटेड बोथ दीज बॉडीज हैव बीन सो टाइट फिस्टेड एंड स्पेशली वेन दे सी माई नेम ऑन दी आर टी आई एप्लीकेशन दे मेक श्योर दैट आई डोंट गेट इट यू वोल्ड बी शॉक टू नो दैट माई अपील्स ऑफ टू थाउजेंड सेवेंटीन विच हैव फाइल बिफोर द स्टेट इन्फॉर्मेशन कमिश्नर आर कमिंग अप फॉर हियरिंग नाउ ए गुड टू एंड टू एंड हाफ इयर्स लेटर सो दे हैव कंटिन्यूसली डिनाइड इन्फॉर्मेशन टू मी and information which was very simple so i had to literally use my friends my contacts to file rtis and get bits and pieces of information and put them together so it has been a long long uh, it's a big uphill task to get any information under the law and what is permitted what is empowering the citizens is the rti act and if this uh, and it is being sought to be defeated at every stage by the government agencies now coming to leading a public movement i don't really see myself as leading the movement of course i was very much and i am a very much an integral part of the movement when we started off i remember it was somewhere in 2014 where there was a group of about 30 odd citizens who stayed nearby are in the neighboring areas who had gathered at uh, one of the gardens inside are and they had uh, they were just reviewing the fact ki what's happening here in uh, what's going to happen in ra and before the evening before that i had actually uh, managed to see certain notices put up on those trees inside the metro car shed site which indicated that those trees were going to be chopped and the same day itself i had written off a complaint letter saying that this is not acceptable and the uh, next day when this meeting happened uh, on a sunday uh, people were divided ki we cannot stop this the government is too powerful and uh, some were very adamant that we will do a chipko and we will not allow it to happen so we had a long deliberation on it and then finally uh, at least i made my stand very clear that if people are coming with me fine otherwise i would go on my own but mercifully many of them stood with me and and, uh, and fought alongside me for which i'll always be thankful to them and a lot of neighboring uh, uh, neighborhood uh, colonies joined in the women especially came out in large numbers with their children in tow because they that was very uh, reassuring that the mothers who cared came out and didn't uh, fence it at a crucial moment so that's how the ra movement began and then in the next two years because of this lack of information and an aggressive counter campaign by the government earlier government i would be specify which made sure that all kinds of allegations accusations falsehood was spread and uh, motives cast upon the people who are trying to save are personal attacks defamatory attacks everything was done and uh, people did get demoralized by that but uh, i was uh, not willing to throw in the towel and i said never mind whatever they have to say let them say we will go ahead and if you still stood with me but the reviving factor came around somewhere in 2018 where the youth suddenly woke up and they realized that the seniors were not there in sufficient numbers or not did they have that much drive to push this on so the youngsters took over the moment and uh, gave it a new energy and they very aggressively using their own innovative skills and uh, the power of the youth they brought it out on the streets they have organized continuous human chains sundays for ra uh, music programs for ra and uh, and they did a great job basically and because of which the ra movement continued to keep growing and it reached almost all parts of the world if you 
have to analyze the save our moment we should all remember that it is the world's longest surviving struggle to save an forest by a urban population seven years no city in the world has fought for its forest that's the power of the people and the youth and the, i really salute them for that and i've been happy to be part of this journey and there are like you said there are always conflicting interests there are people who want to seek uh, their own uh, moment of glory or attention or recognition or fame or whatever but then that happens with every every moment and every uh, organization there will be people but so long as we manage to stay out of uh, conflict and uh, keep the moment going i think we have to accept that as part and parcel i wouldn't deny that there is no uh, what do you call internal struggles or those kind of things but uh, one thing is very clear in everyone's mind that we all stand for ra and we need to put that first above everything and ra is just one of those uh, 25 battles which i am fighting so to me it's really not Uh, of uh, what you call it doesn't bother me too much about the fame or recognition i just need feel that i have a task to complete in fact i have been writing to the state government saying that please let me go on to my other projects which need my attention close this chapter okay. because you people have promised that you will save ra and i don't see any reason why people should continue to follow up now yeah uh that's fascinating we'll get to those 25 battles in just a bit but i had a question about how the counter was launched by the government now the arik forest is basically as as far as the records suggest it's an area that spreads over 3000 hectares there are identified 77 species of birds 16 species of mammals countless species of you know reptiles and insects and so on and so forth but this land is still disputed as being a forest whereas the by the government authorities whereas the same government authorities will then tell us that a land full of unauthorized developments or slums uh, with very sparse vegetation that is a forest land you know so it's 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 astonishing to me that in 2020 we still cannot agree on what itself is a forest on the fundamental definition of a forest so talk to us a little bit about how do we more effectively identify and categorize forests so that we can help protect them better Uh, the definition of forest is a very contested and controversial issue even today in the judiciary the honorable supreme court has been sitting on a petition for almost 20 years or more and has been asking the states to come out with a concrete definition and every state has adopted its own version of what it thinks it's a forest so when it came to the turn of maharashtra uh that what what would maharashtra call a forest they so they said we would go by the dictionary meaning now that again is a very ambiguous thing to do because uh, when the ra forest case was being heard in the high court of bombay uh, the chief honorable chief justice at that time uh, took a look at our petition and he said uh, according to you the maharashtra government has said that a dictionary meaning will apply now you tell me the definition of dictionary meaning what is a dictionary meaning so we explained that any large area with covered with substantial number of trees uh, would constitute a forest so he turned around and asked us what is a large area and what is a substantial number of trees to which we didn't have an answer neither did the government so he very candidly said that please go to the supreme court and seek clarifications i am helpless in this matter so <laughs> that's the state of affairs now coming to ra ra is not 3000 hectares it is 1280 hec- hectares 3000 acres in this 3000 acres there exists about 5 lakh trees 
two rivers, three lakes, scores of forms of wildlife, endemic. There are river streams, there are grasslands, there are marshlands, everything intertwined. Whatever you see in a forest, you will find in RA. In fact, the forests of RA in many parts are much better than the forests of the national park. And it is bound to happen because what, what is RA? RA is basically the down downhill path of uh, the part of the the plains of the national park. The national park is at an elevated area, heights. So the lower areas will always have more forest and greenery because of the water collecting below. And these are the areas where herbivores come to graze. Now, RA is a deemed forest by all definitions, by, because of which whatever virtues I have just spoken about. Now, the government, after transferring these lands to the forest department, did not notify it in their records as a forest. What's worse, those documents went missing. So somewhere in 1983, uh, the divisional forest officer, uh, manager of the Borivili National Park wrote a letter to the state government saying that we have received 2,076 hectares of land from RA, which is a forest, which needs to be protected. Please notify this area as a forest so that we can have more powers to protect it because currently it is getting encroached and degraded. The government on its part replied saying that no need to do anything. Uh, the existing laws are enough to protect it. The existing laws, it meant by saying that it is in a no development zone, so nothing can happen. So a state of, uh, what you call, uh, uneasy or, or you call uh, very uneasy calm prevailed from 1980s to 2015. Because people always thought RA is a forest and in any case it was in a no development zone so no one really bothered about it. But in 2014 the designs to plunder RA became public and that's when people woke up and the metro car shed was just the inauguration of the process of ending the forests of RA. So that's when this entire struggle started. So today the government has two things to do. First is that there is a Supreme Court order which says that all the lands which are resemble forests must be identified, notified and protected. This order was passed way back in the 1990s. So you won't believe what happened after that. After 1990, when this order was passed, in 96, a government committee of various uh, experts from different departments like the collector, the forest department, the municipal officers, they formed a team and started visiting Mumbai city trying to identify the forest. Now, they came up to Film City, which is a part of RA. RA gave land for film for the Film City. So, after reaching Film City, they wrote in their report, Ki what looks below has dense vegetation, uh, but we don't have the contour maps of the area. Plus, it's raining very heavily, so we cannot proceed further. We will, uh, uh, we cannot decide on this, and we went, they went back. They closed the reports that much saying that. So, according to the government, from 1996 to 2020, the rains have been stopped. So, they never found time to go back to RA and identify it. <laughs> huh. So, the forest department, the forest survey of India, which is India's premier uh, agency for identifying forests, has identified open forests inside RA in their own reports. We made them a party in our petition and they replied on affidavit saying that, yes, there are forests inside RA. So here there is a case where all the characteristics of the land plus a Forest Survey of India report and the fact that documents are missing all point that RA is an area with high biodiversity and it's a forest.
so what that particularly strikes me as is being incredibly just bizarre because here you have everybody every record saying that this is a forest you have the supreme court sitting on the forest bench for like like you said over 20 years in the case of tn godavarman and they've yes. passed as far as i recall like over some 3000 orders in the case it's one of the yes. most massive cases the indian judiciary has seen but there yes. is there is still a blockade there is still problems in getting these individuals out of the the ra forest and this brings me to my other question which is that uh we as you said as you correctly pointed out that the ra forest crisis is not just for one metro car shed in fact the bmc has been allotted thousands of square meters for water supply construction reliance industries has been allocated plot for plots for constructions of uh, hamlets for power supply there are plans for an international zoo there are plans for uh, a new film city there is the airport planned and this is just the tip of the iceberg there are several other quote unquote development projects that are planned yes. in the in the yeah. forest and yes. in fact land has also been allocated for the same yes. Uh, yes now whenever you ask the authorities why they are doing a step like this they will always point to the same principle that is sustainable development that they will that you have to find a balance between protecting the ecology and protecting the uh, economy and that the reason that we are cutting down forests or that we are polluting rivers is on the principle of sustainable development now as far as i see it this basically is just privatizing the gains for a few people and socializing the costs for many people very few people actually uh, gain in riches or gain in monetary value through these projects and a lot of people are displaced a lot of people lose access to resources and clean air and clean water and things like that so talk to us about your understanding of what sustainable development even is and can there be any development that is unsustainable uh in fact uh, there are two statements or uh, phrases which i am always wary of and i tell people also to be wary of one of them is sustainable development and the second is there should be a balance between development and environment now these are two statements always used by people who are either sanctioning or going about destroying the environment sustainable development the term itself is an oxymoron the term sustainability means that you have gone wrong in your ester years and you need to correct your mistakes and so instead of learning to sustain we are still going at with the development and just saying we are doing it sustainably how can you sustain development when the resources are going to be are not infinite now the people who are living inside are there are 30 or odd hamlets of the tribal traditional forest dwellers who have never got anything from the government in fact uh, last year there was a huge uh, celebration saying that all parts of india have been electrified but let me tell you that in a city like mumbai there were hamlets without electricity even till last year so it's a case where people have been deprived of the benefits or the basics also so the sustainable development argument goes out there is almost all the projects which the government wants to execute can be done without damaging the environment for example the metro car shed we gave them 10 other options where it could be done but in the misinformation campaign which they the aggressively uh, what you call spread they just went on lie after lie and every lie had to be countered with a document from our side well they were having, they were only on rhetoric and uh, and the fact that all these projects there are enough spaces for it to be 
executed or enough methods in which it can be executed. For example, the slums which are spread out horizontally can always be located vertically and the land can be created. There is no need to bring 80,000 forest dwellers into a, I mean, uh, slum dwellers into a forest. That will completely decimate. And the metro car shed also plans for a metro station inside RA. Who on earth wants a station, railway station inside a forest? There is nobody staying there. So the designs were very clear. They started a RTO testing center where all kinds of vehicles will come in for testing inside RA. Now, and if you see the location of all these projects, it's so well planned that it is attacking RA from all sides, from all sides of it. The uh, the rivers which are inside are the Miti River and the Oshivara River. Now inside a forest, they have made walls on the river. Why would someone make a wall on a river and now inside a forest? The designs are very clear. Now we know, and I have been telling this uh, right from the last three years, that the Oshivara River, the walls should not be there. Now the purpose has come out because they plan to make a metro bhavan next to it. The water spills out into the forest. Now, what they are trying to do is to make walls inside the rivers of RA, plus start drawing groundwater to wash the car, railway bogies. Fresh water inside a forest, five tankers, 50,000 liters would be used every day. Just fresh water would be used to wash railway bogies. And that, when that kind of extraction happens on a daily basis, the entire forest will dry up. The designs are very nice, very well thought of. They will deprive the forest of the rivers, uh, the river uh, interacting with it, and plus they will start drawing the groundwater. So it's a double whammy for the for the double attack on the forest. The forest will start deteriorating, and slowly they can start clearing the land bit by bit. And that's the game plan. So people have uh, what you call correctly stood up and fought for this, and and it's a it's a struggle that continues. I don't see any reason why the government is still continuing to drag this matter further on. You know, it's it's indeed an attack from all sides. It is indeed well thought out and concerted. And if only the government could put so much energy and resources into actually doing some good, God knows where we would be. Uh, one last question, Sanjeev, that I have for you is that given the very real hardships and obstacles that you have had to face, that indeed any social activist has to face, uh, how do individuals listening to my podcast better prepare themselves to fight the systemic abuse of the environment and how do they be part of these movements and sort of lead to better outcomes? Uh, it is uh, finally whether a movement succeed or not, uh, it's only time will tell. But the, like I said in the beginning, I would only request every citizen, every listener that your that the Constitution of India tells you to protect your rivers, forests, wildlife and natural assets. It does not give anyone, remember this, it does not give anyone, including the government, the power to destroy it. So what we are doing is we are trying to do what the constitution is telling us to do. And if we save the environment, if we can save our forests, we will be a healthier and better equipped country. Now, for example, once you start destroying all your water rivers, then you are left into you are pushing yourself into a water crisis. If you remove the forest, the quality of and quantity of water into a river gets reduced. So we need to understand that we are part of this ecosystem. Now, the pandemic has taught us a lesson that if nature decides, it can keep us out of the equation. We like to think of ourselves as masters of the planet. But that's no longer true. We have been shown our place correctly. But the sad part is that we are 
a species that doesn't learn from its mistakes. Now, the excuse will be that we need to recover from our economic losses, so we will have to plunder more. Now, that makes this struggle even worse. So, people need to understand that whatever they are fighting for, it is not the job of a handful of people. You, you are fighting for your own children's health, your own children's betterment. Now, those people who thought that what is left in India, our international school, foreign now forget the foreign dream. Mm-hmm. You'll all be sent back eventually. So this is your country. You were born here. You will die here. So try and keep this country's ecosystems intact and the planet livable. That's our purpose. Of course, we cannot say that we have never. For example, I would say very clearly that I personally or my organization has never opposed any project for the sake of opposing it. We have always said do it in XYZ manner because you will also get your project and there will be lesser damage. But the problem today with the crisis is created because the government does not talk to the citizens. Has the government ever asked you what you need? No. It always comes and tells you, we have decided this is best for you, so you take this. Supposing, let's take an example as a child, if you are dependent on your parents, and your parents come and give you something which is absolutely not of importance for you, and tell you, no, no, we've decided this is important for you, so you have to use this now. So it, it doesn't work that way. You have to understand what is the necessity of today. Today, what was needed, the, the people who are traveling in the Mumbai trains are falling off the trains and dying. They needed immediate relief, not a metro project that will come seven years later. It could have come earlier or it can come later also. How will you save each life? That should have been the focus. Instead, these accidents which are happening because of the lack of regular trains was shown as our insensitivity when we objected. Yeah. So we said if people are dying falling from the trains, the answer is to run your train at shorter intervals. Mm-hmm. And don't tell us that you will keep killing people every day so that your metro can get a justification. Do your metro, but at least save the lives which are being lost needlessly every day. So that is the problem. The lack so, of connect between the government and the citizens. And we need to bridge that. People need to talk. You can't just fence it anymore. The time has gone. People indeed do need to talk and that is essentially what this podcast is an attempt to get people to talk and to have a greater discourse. Stalinji, thank you so much for your time. This has been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Ganesh. To those of you that have managed to reach this far in the podcast, thank you so, so much. You obviously love me very much or you genuinely enjoyed the show. Either way, I owe you one and I want to do something for you. I want to give you the best podcast experience possible. So tell me how I can do that. Tell me how I can make my podcast better. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what I'm doing right. Tell me what you'd like to hear more of or what you'd like to hear less of. If you liked or disliked something I said or have any views, comments, criticisms. Honestly, they don't even have to be constructive. If you have anything at all to say, you can write to me at my personal email that's maitreya.ghorpade at gmail.com. That's M-A-I-T-R-E-Y-A dot G-H-O-R-P-A-D-E at gmail.com. Or find me on Instagram at my personal handle or on at waternoth. I hope to hear from you soon. Thank you.